Welcome into the Week 12 edition of the Eye in the Sky podcast here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and I'll tell you what, we've got a great show for you this week. Greg Cosell made the trek down from NFL Films. He's here in studio. We're going to talk about the Eagles' loss out in Green Bay. We'll look ahead to Tennessee, see what the Titans will be bringing to Lincoln Financial Field on Sunday afternoon. And then we're going to look around the league, some of the big storylines around the NFL after this week's action. Later on in the show, I'm excited to bring in NFL, uh, ESPN NFL Draft Analyst Todd McShay. We'll talk some college football, some of the hot names in draft circles right now. I've got a lot to get to, but first, I just wanted to say that the feedback that I'm getting from you guys has been great, whether you've been listening on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or downloading on iTunes or Stitcher, any of those podcast apps you guys you know have on your phone or your tablet. You guys have been awesome. Please continue to spread the word. Give us your feedback. If you're an Eagles fan or, hey, Greg, I'm going to bring in uh, Greg Cosell here. Greg, it's not just the Eagles we talk about here. You know, We talk about the game. We're just talking football. No, and that's what's been so great, Fran. Just, we obviously talk a lot of Eagles, but we talk the rest of the league as well. Exactly right. So, again, please just keep spreading the word. Give us some feedback. We'll try to make the show better. Uh, Greg, obviously a very tough loss out in the frozen tundra this weekend. You and I watched the game together here in the studio. There were a lot of different things that kind of led to that final outcome. It was a bad start. It kind of snowballed from there. When you watched the tape offensively, we'll, we'll get to the defense in a bit, sure. but offensively, what did you think? You know, it's funny. Offensively, when I started watching it, I did not think that they played poorly early on. Uh, I thought Sanchez – uh, continued to be, you know, fairly sharp. He he's looking much much better than he did as a New York Jet, which is a real positive sign. I thought as the game progressed and the score made it that way, because when you're down big, no matter how you try to stay within certain things and and within your limitations, let's put it that way, it's just as hard to do that. And I thought once the second half came around, I didn't think Mark played well at all. But it's very difficult to judge a quarterback under those circumstances. Uh, but I, I think that I'm very anxious. I guess let me put it this way. I'm very anxious to see Mark this Sunday against Tennessee for the simple reason that there were a couple of times in that game where I thought he kind of got a little frenetic, saw some of the things that we saw in New York that you didn't like, and I'm anxious to see how he rebounds. I think he will rebound because I think the whole scheme with Chip will help him rebound. But I think it's something that is still a little bit of a work in progress as we go forward. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought that up, in, in, especially in terms of that second half. Because obviously, if you look at that, the pick six that he threw to Julius Peppers, if you look at that play in a vacuum, it's that like, was a well, screen. What, yeah, what, yeah. Well, well, it's like, well, why is that? Why is that ball going there? How is? How does he not see? See, that's Peppers? the kind of thing that, again, we're not sitting here saying, "Oh my God, it's it's Mark Sanchez. It's it's back to what he was." That's right. not the point. Right. But that was a screen, and why Mark made the throw he did. Only he can tell you that, but that's the kind of play that you just put in the back of your head and is a little concerning, and now you want to see him this week. And I guess I'm jumping ahead a little, but all this, you know, we start talking and we just start talking. Right. Ray Horton, over the last three weeks, he's the defensive coordinator for Tennessee, for those who don't know. He's one of those coordinators that as he – and it's his first year. As the season progresses, you start to see more and more – and, and I don't know how much you study Tennessee's defense, but over the last three, four weeks, you're starting to see a lot more in terms of multiple fronts, pressures. And again, the Eagles' speed tempo, maybe it limits it, maybe it doesn't. Ray Horton's one of those coaches that I think is in some ways like Todd Bowles. I don't think he cares. I think he just does his thing, and that's the way it is. So he's the Eagles' offense as a whole, they're going to see – a lot of different looks, a lot of different pressures, and Mark Sanchez can't throw balls like that Peppers interception, which, as I said, was a screen, and you wonder why he made that throw. 
Right. I mean, I, I guess the thing is, when you look at that second half, and you talked about it, the, the, the circumstances under which that half was played, you wonder, okay, if it's a tie game or if it's the first quarter, is he making that play or is he uh, going to try and force that ball? Was he pressing? Were there other factors that are going into that throw, that decision? Uh, and the, it's not just Mark Sanchez. No, that of course not. Specific play. It could be, you know, any number of plays along that we could we can go on all, all, all night about this. It could be uh, the way an offensive tackle blocked a certain play. It could be the way uh, Lashawn McCoy, you know, inserted on in a, on a specific run, whether it was outside or inside. Uh, the way a receiver ran a route. You can go up and down here, but uh, really, the, the second half was just. A tough evaluation from a world view in terms right. of how, you know looking right. forward for this team. And, and and for those who watch Tennessee, for Eagles fans who watch Tennessee on Monday night and saw Le'Veon Bell rush 33 times for 204 yards, I think you would just want to be a little careful making a straight line linear evaluation because, as you know, watching the game on tape, the Steelers they ran a lot of counter, they ran a lot of gap schemes, they ran a lot of inside runs. I mean, most of Bell's runs, with very few exceptions, were inside, and they ran runs that you don't normally see the Eagles run a lot of. Which doesn't mean they're not in the arsenal, right? I mean, we have seen the Eagles run power, right? Exactly. So it's not as if they've never done that, but normally that's not the foundation of the Eagles' run game. So it's not, as I said, a, a straight-line linear comparison saying, hey, they can't stop the run. The Eagles will run for 250. That's not an, an automatic association. Now let me ask you this. In your experience, when you look at some of these teams that run a lot of these zone-blocking principles, yep. and the Eagles obviously are one of them, uh, when you have so many interchangeable parts and guys going in and out of the lineup, guys changing positions, moving from left to right, uh, how long do you think it takes – a line, a, a group of guys, whether it's the right guard, right tackle, center guard, you know, so on and so forth, to kind of get the timing now because so it's, much of that zone run game is based on on feel and those guys kind well, of communicating and feeling who's going to go up to the second level, who's going to stick on the on the guard or on the nose tackle. It's it's a tough go. It's such a great question. I'll tell you, and it made me think of years ago when Mike Shanahan was in Denver and we'd watch tape, and that's when that zone run game was at its at its finest. Right. And we'd literally look at the five offensive linemen, and they'd move their feet at exactly the same time in exactly the same way. I mean, there was a, there was a synchronicity uh, to name a police album, by the way. It's good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, there was a synchronicity there that was amazing. And we used to joke around. It was literally like elephants on parade. Right. But they'd move exactly the same way. And... I don't think that happens overnight. And clearly, that's been an issue for the Eagles' run game this year because, that, like I said, that you don't just snap your fingers. and you know It's easy to say next man up, but right. there's a timing and a continuity that goes with his own run game, and I'm not sure it's been there for the Eagles this year. No, I, I think it's – and they, the coaches have talked about it this week in their press conferences that, you know, look, each of these runs, it's, it's something different every time, whether it's – the left tackle not getting up right. at the right time, or maybe someone fell off a block at the last second, or someone was a little bit late getting off the getting off the first block and getting up to the second level. It's one little, little things here and there, but it's across the across the board because everybody's really starting to get used to. It. Just because Evan Mathis comes back in the lineup, okay, now Jason Peters has to get used to working with Mathis again. Kelsey's got to get used to working with Mathis again. Uh, we th- we had Lane Johnson on the uh, Eagles Insider podcast, and he talked about having. You know, Todd Herman's on his left side for the entirety of his career, and now he's got Tobin there, and he's trying to work on timing with Tobin. It, it takes some time. And the back. Don't forget the back. Right. The back gets used to uh, – I mean, here they, the Eagles play Dallas in a few weeks, and you can see – 
when you watch their zone, outside zone run game, how everything has a real sort of symmetrical feel to it. And for the back, he has an understanding of how things get blocked, what guys do what, what he can count on. Does he cut back inside off the guard? Does he cut back inside off the center? You know, there's all that goes together, and it happens really fast. So when it's not exactly right, a run that could be a 10 or 12 or 30-yard run for McCoy could end up being a one-yard loss. Yeah, no question about it. And while we're talking about the run game, I'm going to change gears here a little bit and talk about the Tennessee Titans. They've got a back there, Bishop Sankey. And I th- both of us, we, we kind of felt the same way about Sankey, I think, coming out of Washington this spring. Uh, just some questions about him, whether or not he was a feature back and you know, just how what his, what his ceiling was as an NFL ball carrier. And I think to this point, I don't know that that question's been answered with him. Do you feel that way? I feel like the next, you know, the, the remaining six games, whatever's left on their schedule, they have to figure out, okay, is he a guy that we're gonna, is going to be a bell cow for us in the future, or is he more of like a complementary piece in our offensive attack? Well, you hit it right on the head, Fran. They're going to have to find that out. Yeah. Because I think with Zach Mittenberger at quarterback, and he'll be their quarterback, they need a run game. And I've actually been a little more impressed with Sankey because I watch Tennessee every week right. than – I thought I would be. I'm not saying he's all of a sudden a big-time inside power runner, but he's run with a little more inside, uh, let's say, velocity than I thought he might. He's not he had that re- great touchdown run against the yeah, Steelers last night. He's not necessarily going to run over people, right. but he's shown a little better contact balance than I thought he showed in college. That's a good, that's a good term. Yeah, and you know he's not necessarily running through tackles, right. but he's not going down easily. And uh, – I think that they're trying to find out, and they're going to use these final, uh, what are it, six games, I guess it is? six games left. God, that's crazy. (laughs) Six games. They're going to need to find that out because with this particular quarterback and this particular offense and this O-line, I think their offense needs to start with the run game, which, again, in today's NFL doesn't mean that you're going to give a back 25 carries every week, but you need a back that you can hand the ball to and feel that he can sustain your offense and at least keep it on relative schedule. Yeah, no question about it. And that was one of the things that I was worried about with him coming out of Washington too was the, his ability to create his own, you know, create yardage for himself. Whether it was to have the wiggle to make a guy miss right. in space or to run through first contact. And agree, I agree with you that he's shown a little bit more of that than I expected. Like I said, he had that great touchdown run yep. where he ran through three or four arm tackles last night against Pittsburgh. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see. He had his issues early on in the season as far as getting on the field. They use all four of those backs, and I think it says something still to this point that, you know, look, Leon Washington is still getting carries, and you would think yeah. that he's that kind of player that Sankey would be getting those reps. And they've addressed – it hasn't worked out quite the way they hoped yet, but they've addressed the O-line. Oh, yeah. They've got a number one pick at left tackle. And, by the way, that kid's played well. LeJuan, yeah, LeJuan. no question. I think he's been the best left tackle of the rookies this season. Interesting. Um They've got a number one pick from the year before at right guard in Chance Warmack from yep. Alabama. They've got a, what, a second or a third round pick at center in Schwenke. Schwenke, yep. Isn't he something Cal. like yep. a third? Second round. I think it was yeah, a second yeah. rounder out of Cal. So they signed Andy Levitri a few years ago from Buffalo, who, by the way, has not had a very good season at no. all. And he's been hurting them. Michael Orr has been very up and down. So really, left guard, right tackle have been huge issues for the Titans. But they've addressed their offensive line. Because Orr was a free agent signing. Right. So they've addressed their all line. It's it's not as if they haven't dealt with it. Exactly. They've just not gotten the week-to-week production I think they hoped they would get. Yeah, no question. It, it, just the last point on Sankey, when I was thinking about this, you know, preparing for the show, it's almost like a – and let me know what you think about this. It's almost like a, the situation in Cincinnati with a guy like Giovanni Bernard. Bernard's obviously, I think, in my opinion, more talented than Sankey. I think we can agree there. But – 
it's almost to the point where Cincinnati, they went out and spent a second-round pick this year on Jeremy Hill to be one of those kind of guys that can sustain. kind of tells you what they think of Sankey, or it, they wouldn't have spent a second-round pick on him. I mean, I'll, think I'll, of think uh, Bernard, Bernard, excuse me. Or, or they wouldn't have spent a second-round pick on uh, – Jeremy Hill. Exactly. So I'll be really interested to see, okay, going into the, through this offseason, if Tennessee decides, okay, do we need another guy who can maybe take 15 to 20 carries and we can use Sankey in a complimentary role, or is he their guy moving forward? You know, and, and every offense is different, as you know. You and I talk draft every year, and we spend a lot of time evaluating players and talking about it and talking philosophy. It's, you know, it's always easy to say things like, well, backs aren't as important as they used to be, or you can get a back anywhere. And then people look at backs who are fourth or fifth rounder picks or free agents and say, see, you know. And that's a big discussion today, by the way, with the release of Ben Tate and of LeGarrette Blunt in Pittsburgh, with both those guys getting cut. I think that was one of the big uh, discussion points on Twitter was uh, the, the devaluation of the running back position. Right, and, and, and which is a great philosophical discussion, <clears throat> excuse me, until you want to run the football with consistency. I mean, it's easy to say, oh, you know, Todd Gurley out of Georgia, you know, why take him in the top 15 or top 20? But, you know, maybe if you're Tennessee and you've decided that Bishop Sankey is not a feature back and you know Mettenberger's your guy, a guy like Todd Gurley looks pretty good on that team for how they want to play. You know, you're not getting Todd Gurley in the fifth round. No question, right. So, you know, it's different for every team and how they want – you know, it's years – you go. I remember having conversations with coaches not years ago, just in the last couple of years, about safeties on defense, for instance. Right. You know, and you'd always hear the philosophical, abstract conversations we all love to have at draft time about, oh, don't take a safety high unless you. Uh, and then you talk to coaches, and they say, whoa, wait a second, I got to cover these tight ends. Right. I can't do that without a safety, and then I have to change everything I do on defense. So. It's always these great philosophical abstract conversations, and unless you're a coach and you got to line up and win on Sunday. Yeah, no question about it. It's going to be one of the interesting topics to follow as we get through the rest of the season and then the offseason leading up to the NFL draft. Uh, continuing here with the Titans, they've got some interesting weapons on the outside. They too. do. Uh, Justin Hunter was a guy both of us liked. I don't think he's developed the way that many probably would have hoped, but Listen, the kid's really, really talented. I think I saw a quote from his receivers coach, Sean Jefferson, who said, obviously he coached uh, Calvin Johnson out in Detroit. He's a former Lions receiver himself. said that he's got more natural ability than Calvin Johnson. Obviously a big kid who can run and get down the field. Has struggled. Look, they, they threw that pick six in the very first play against the Steelers, and that was really Justin Hunter falling mid-route. Uh, he's str- still struggling in some aspects of his game, but very talented player. Yeah, and he's a vertical guy at this point. Definitely. He's built exactly like A.J. Green. Yep, I think his height weight's the same. At this point, he's still not anywhere near a polished receiver. Uh, they obviously hope he can become that because of the talent. But they have Kendall Wright, who's really good in the slot. Be yeah. a very intriguing matchup against Boykin this week. And they do all kinds of things with him. Whether oh, it's the, yep. you know, vertical routes or the bubble, you know, jet sweeps and uh, crossing routes. I mean, they use him all over the place. And Nate Washington is a veteran who is a very good route runner, and he can get open against man coverage. Yeah, no question about it. And then the the health of Delaney Walker, I think, has hurt them a little bit because when he was healthy, I mean, he was he was dynamic. They moved him all over the and formation. And he works in the middle of the field really well. Really, really well. Yeah. And he's a good route runner for the position, yeah. too. He does a really good job separating downfield. Uh, defensively, we talked about Ray Horton and that defensive scheme. Talked about the last couple games, how they've really upped the pressure. Baltimore game in particular, uh, he really turned up the yeah. heat against Joe Flacco and the Ravens offense. Uh, they're really throwing a lot of different players in that front seven, mixing, them, mixing and matching to generate pressure. A lot of different looks. And again, the speed tempo of the Eagles sometimes minimizes the looks. I guess we'll find out. But if it doesn't, 
There's an awful lot to, to take in. It's a big classroom week for the Eagles offense to try to understand all those looks, both for the O-line and the quarterback and even the receivers uh, because they all have to see who's coming, who's not coming, if they have to break off routes or wh- whatever the case may be. But this is a, a tough defense tactically. I don't think they're highly skilled. They, you know, they don't have a singular pass rusher that you have to account for play after play after play. Their best defensive uh, player is probably Jarrell Casey, who's now playing in a 3-4, although they do some single-gap stuff, one-gap stuff with him. But he's probably best suited as a 4-3-3 technique. But he can he can be dominant at times. Yeah, no question about it. They, they kind of move him all over the place, too. I think uh, he had a sack, I believe it was against Dallas, where he was lined up in a two-point stance over the right tackle and right. beat him around the edge like he was a defensive end. It was pretty uh, – Fun to watch. And what they've done a lot this year is Jason McCourty will play the other team's top receiver. Right. So I would expect to see McCourty on Macklin. In the secondary, they do some interesting things. They'll, they'll play base and go into a three-corner package where they'll leave Michael Griffin as the lone safety, and they bring in the rookie, uh, Marqueston Huff, who some thought as a corner, right. some saw as a safety coming out of Wyoming. He's I a remember. good guy, guy at the senior bowl. They bring him in, and he'll play the slot. He's kind of their, their big nickel guy, and they'll play with a three-cornerback rotation there with Griffin at safety. Yeah, I'm not sure they'll do that against the Eagles, unless the Eagles go too tight. Maybe right. they'll try to do that. Right. Uh but normally, I know Bleedy Ray Wilson got hurt this past week and came out uh, in the third quarter. And then they moved Sensabaugh, Cody Sensabaugh, the former Clemson corner, who normally plays the slot. They moved him outside. Right. So we'll see if Bleedy Ray Wilson goes. Um, I liked him coming out of Connecticut. He's... He's uh, got what you look for in a corner. I still think he's feeling his way a little bit. He struggled a little bit early in the yeah, season, and yeah. then he started to pick it up, I think. Uh, and then they, they played Damian Stafford, the uh, the safety. And dime, they're a dime team yeah, for the most part. Absolutely. He'll so come what happens is dime. he's replaced Bernard Pollard, who got hurt out for the year. Uh, he doesn't play in their base. George Wilson does. But Wilson becomes a dime linebacker, and Stafford essentially becomes a deep safety in dime. One team, uh, as we put a bow on the Titans here, and look around the league. I wanted to ask you, because obviously it's one of the big storylines in the NFL right now, uh, the Washington Redskins and RG3. <laughs> obviously we saw the quotes post-game from RG3 and what, and what he said and whether they were taken out of context or, or, or not. You know, it is what he said. It's irrelevant. Exactly. Yeah. And then uh, what Jay Gruden said uh, the following day, and it was pretty interesting to see a, court, a coach talk about his starting quarterback that way. Look, I mean, it, he's not wrong, at least from, from what I've seen. I'm no, not sure what, not. what you saw this past week. I watched it. And RG3 is at the point where he needs remedial training, and and I'm saying that totally honestly. It's clear right now he doesn't intuitively understand the timing of the pass game. His drops don't always sync up with the the depth of the receiver's routes. There's He leaves a ton of throws on the field, open receivers, that he doesn't throw the ball, and only he could tell you why. He's missing throws. His, his footwork and his lower body mechanics are terrible. He literally needs quarterback school. He needs to start over. Yeah. And, again, I don't know what's going to happen in Washington, and maybe he can't start over. Maybe this is what he is, and uh, so be it. But he really needs to start from scratch at the quarterback position uh, because he's – I mean, he missed a Sean Jackson twice on what would have been touchdowns, throws you got to make as an NFL quarterback. Uh, so he's, he's not been very good in basically every area, every trait and attribute you look for in an NFL quarterback. He's not there right now. And look, the, these final six games, we talked about it with Tennessee and Bishop Sankey. This is obviously to a much higher level. Whether or not Jay Gruden wants RG3 to be his quarterback for the short term, they have to figure out if he's the guy long term. So I, I don't know that plugging Colt McCoy in when 
you're three and seven at this point. I don't know that that's going to help. Well, the only way it helps is if you believe that Colt that McCoy, McCoy can be an NFL starter. Now but, we know Colt McCoy is not going to be, you know, Aaron Rodgers. Right. But if you believe Colt McCoy can be a winning NFL quarterback, if you get the other pieces around him, then you might want to play Colt McCoy. But I I don't know the situation. Yeah, exactly. And and obviously with. All the different things behind the scenes. Who knows what what's real, right. what's not, what's what the situation really is. I can only tell you really what the is. film shows. Exactly. And right now, RG three has a long way to go to be a quality NFL starter. No question about it. And the, the, the other big game this week, I think one of the bigger surprises of the 2014 season so far, uh, Denver losing to, to the St. Louis Rams. The Rams defense really just hold on. I mean, look, they, they held Peyton Manning to seven points. Right. What, what can you say about the performance? I haven't watched the tape. I have. What did you see? Well, I watch the Rams every week, and this defense has been getting better and better and better. Greg Williams is the defensive coordinator. He likes to do a lot of things early in the season. I think the multiplicity of what he likes to do was causing some problems, some discipline mistakes. But all of a sudden, they seem to have picked it up. And I, there's one player in particular that you know not a lot of people certainly in Philadelphia know about the Rams, but T.J. McDonald at safety has played extremely well over the last month. Interesting. And it, I'd be hard-pressed, and I can't think of every safety in the league right now off the top of my head, but given what he's asked to do, and he's asked to do an awful lot, my guess is there are not many, if any, safeties playing better over the last month of the season than T.J. McDonald. Wow. See, that's really interesting because he was a guy that I – he'll be a guy I missed on because I was – I didn't I love was, him either. Yeah, I, I was not in love with yeah. him. I, there were people that really – you know, and – in the draft uh, digisphere right, 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 right. That, that really were big on Where we're McDonald. all geniuses. Exactly. We're all geniuses. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, there were a lot of people that were really high on uh, T.J. McDonald. I I just didn't see it. There were a lot of missed tackles, a lot of the issues breaking down in space. And, uh, look, he, he's shown the ability to be an all every, you know, do everything. He covers tight defense. ends man-to-man. Yeah. They use him as a blitzer. He's, he's kind of – he kind of has that stalking movement because he's long and athletic. So the way he moves, he covers a lot of ground, and they use him in a variety of ways. Yeah, no question about it. Well, Greg, I think that's going to do it for Week 12. I appreciate you once again making the trip down from NFL Films on uh, the first really cold night of the year, unfortunately. A little nippy out there. Yeah, no question about it. It's not even Thanksgiving yet, and we're dealing with the the, uh, the, the frost in the window. I knew it was bad when I walked, got in my car this morning, and the tire pressure light was on, and it's like, okay, well, and now it's winter. That's the first sign. That's I remember that sign. last winter in my car. Yeah, that's the first sign. All right, well, before we wrap it up, I'm going to get over to ESPN NFL Draft Insider Todd McShay. I caught up with him earlier to talk about college football and all the hot names in NFL draft circles going on right now. Let's get to that interview with Todd. Joining us now on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, one of the best in the business and one of the key contributors to our Scouts Notebook series back in the spring, ESPN NFL Draft Analyst Todd McShay. Todd, welcome to the show. Hey, Fran. How you doing today? Uh, doing all right, man. I appreciate the time, as always. Obviously, it's a really busy time of year. We're getting into the latter stages of the college football season. I know you're traveling all over the place. Uh, how is How exciting is it right now to be at the stage of the season that we're at? It's pretty cool. I mean, you know, it feels like we spend every week talking about the playoff rankings and, you know, which teams are going to be there. And we're finally starting to run out of time, which makes it fun and, and adds some urgency, and there's still enough enough teams involved that uh it seems like every week there's there's a bunch of interesting games so it's uh it's good a few more weeks and, and we'll finally know who the four teams are 
Absolutely. Well, first up, Todd, one of the big stories surrounding college football this past weekend, unfortunately, was the injury to running back Todd Gurley. It was his first game back after suspension. He goes down with a torn ACL against Auburn. Thankfully, there wasn't any more structural damage that was reported. But when it's all said and done, what do you think this does to his draft status? And is he really still the top runner available this uh, this spring? It'll be interesting to see. I, you know, obviously, medicine has changed and, and the recovery time for an ACL has changed. You also look back, even Willis McGahee still was a first-round pick. I think he was the 23rd overall pick the year he had the knee injury and and went on to have 10 productive years in the in the NFL. So I'm not completely counting out the possibility of Gurley being a, a first-round pick. I do realize we haven't had a first-round running back uh, or running back selected in the first two or first round in the last two drafts, and so the the odds. A little bit stacked against Gurley, just the fact that, yes, he, he was projected to be a, a first-round pick. My guess is, had everything gone right and he continued to produce and stay healthy, I had him as a top-ten talent, but because the, the value of the position is not what it once was, my guess is he would have been somewhere in that 10-20 to 20 range. Yeah, he's now throwing the knee injury. Yeah, the fact that he was, was not able to stay healthy a year ago, and I, I just wonder. So I, I say there's a chance he could still go in the first. You have teams like Baltimore that will probably be picking late in the first round. The New England Patriots taking some chances on, on durability guys. Just put last year at easily the defensive lineman from Florida. Uh, but if he gets to the second round, it probably won't take long for a team to snatch him up. You know, St. Louis Rams are, are one club that could certainly use a running back in, in the second round. And um, Jacksonville Jaguars are another one. All right, well, I don't know if I'm one of the people that's ready to say this, but one of the names that's being brought up as a competition to be the top running back selected next to Gurley is Melvin Gordon from Wisconsin, a guy you got to see in person last week in his dismantling of Nebraska's defense, over 400 yards rushing, just a huge day for him. What are your thoughts on him, and does he pass the eye test up close? Yeah, he does. I mean, he's, he's a good-looking back. He runs a little bit high. He'll take some shots to the body, but he's, he's done a nice job of staying healthy. Extremely patient, and he does have the luxury of running behind a good offensive line that works extremely well together. But he also sets up a lot of those blocks too, and he waits for his block, his blockers to get in position. He senses it, has a really good feel, knows when to hit the cutback lane, and when he goes, he explodes. And that, that's one thing you look for for running back, I think, especially when blocking guys that are able to plant their foot in the ground and then explode off of it. Now, he's not going to run, my guess is, he's not going to run an exceptional 40 time, although it seems to be that around 40 yards is where he kind of tops. But he gets from 0 to 60 miles an hour as fast as, you know, many of the top speed backs in the league. So I, he gets caught from behind, and we saw that a few times. We saw it in LSU in the opener, another game that I had him live this year, and we saw it a few times against Nebraska the other day, but you know how many times you have an opportunity to run beyond 40 yards anyway in the NFL? I think his ability to explode up the field once he waits for it patiently and, and hits that crease is, is part of what makes him so good. And I also think running behind his pads a little bit more this year, that I mean running with better leverage, he's finishing, falling forward, and he's, he's just showing a little bit more power than he has in years before. And he's also one of the reasons he came back to school was to show that he could become a productive player on passing downs. 
I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's, he's a great receiver or a great pass blocker, but I can tell you that he's improved catching the ball. He has 11 receptions this year compared to just three the last three years combined. And he's been more than willing and showing great effort in pass protection. So I think coming back to school was the right decision for Melvin Gordon. It's a decision a lot of running backs don't make if they have an opportunity to leave early. He made it, and it's, it's really working out well for him. And if he is the first back off the board, a lot will have to do, obviously, with the girly injury, I would guess. But, the, but give a lot of credit to him for knowing that he had to come back and improve and, and doing all the things he needed to do in the offseason to get better as a football player. All right, well, last, let me ask you. We talked about Melvin Gordon, but you've seen a lot of these big top backs in the Big Ten. You've seen Amir Abdullah of Nebraska, Jeremy Langford, Michigan State, Tevin Coleman, the kid out of Indiana, David Cobb. I was really impressed when I watched this kid out of Minnesota. You've seen all these top backs out of that conference. Who else has stood out the most to you? Well, Coleman, I, I've started to watch his tape just in the past two weeks, and I don't have a ton of time, so I've only gotten through two games, but I like what I've seen. And I think he has the, the shifty, the lateral agility, the the ability to accelerate, and he's also he runs bigger than his, his size would indicate, at around 210 pounds. So I, I've liked what I've seen. I want to watch more before I put a you know an exact round on him, but I, I think he's got a chance to be a day two back and, and be in the mix with some of these other top backs that we're talking about. I, I also think Amir Abdullah, it was a frustrating game for him the other day against Wisconsin because he just wasn't himself. You know, he was trying to fight through that knee injury. They had the bye week. He was not 100%. You could tell they were running him an awful lot to the, the right because the injury, I believe, was to his left knee, and so he was struggling to cut off his left knee. And, uh, and he just he wasn't himself. He also was struggling in pass protection. He, he just couldn't get the leverage and the lower body strength to anchor versus versus linebackers when they came in. But I, I was impressed with the fact that he was out there battling, he was running hard, and, and he gave it his best effort. And, and I'll say this, ball security was a problem for him the other night. It has been a problem for him throughout his career. But early this season, prior to this past game with the injury, uh, he really had shown improvement in that regard. And I was very impressed with his tape. And there's not many backs in, the, in college football that I've studied that really have the ability to so quickly stop and start. And he can do that. He can make the jump cut in the backfield. He really has the ability to make defenders miss in a small area. And I think that's important when evaluating back to the next level. Can you create yards on your own, whether it's with power or agility? And, and Abdullah can do that. So... He's probably, because of the ball security and because he has not played big in big games, he's probably going to slip a little bit maybe in the middle, later, second round. But I think a team's going to wind up getting a really good value in Amir Abdullah. They're going to get a guy that loves playing the game and is, is a high-character guy as well that you want in, in your locker room and you want on your football team. So with Gordon and Abdullah, having spent time with them and, and being around guys that have been around them for a long time, they're the highest of character football players and, and great team guys. So I, I think NFL teams, wherever they wind up coming off the board, are really going to be thrilled with what they're getting uh, in that perspective. All right, well, Gordon is one of those redshirt juniors who pondered coming out a year ago. Thankfully, he stayed in school. We got to continue enjoying him at the college level for another year. But another guy in that same, uh, that same group that really uh, is, you know, could have come out a year ago, 
He's a little bit further out west. A Philly guy, actually. He grew up here in Philadelphia. That's Arizona State wide receiver Jalen Strong, 6'4", 212 pounds, the ex-receiver for the Sun Devils. What are your thoughts on Strong when you've watched him this season? Well, he passes the eye test. That's the first thing. I mean, when he comes comes out in, in pregame warm-ups, you look at him and say he looks the part. And he plays the part, too. I mean, he, I think that's the biggest thing. He still drops some passes when he, on shorter routes and when he's trying to get up the field before he's secured it. And he still can improve as a route runner getting in and out of his breaks. But I think he's improved from a year ago in both of those areas. He's a hardworking young man. He understands what his biggest asset is, and that's his frame. And he's learning as he goes kind of how to use it better. And I think this year he's, he's done a much better job than he did even a year ago. He's, he's really figuring out how to get defenders on his back and, and how to go up and fight for the contested ball. And, and I think probably his biggest strength is, is the 50-50 ball. When you put it in the air, going up and, and getting it, whether he's high-pointing it, timing his jump well, boxing out the defender, whatever it is, he's doing a really good job of, of catching the ball in traffic. And I can tell you from seeing it up, up, up in personal, the touchdown catch he had just a few weeks ago in that game against Notre Dame, I was standing right there in the corner of the end zone, and I didn't think he had a chance. I mean, the ball was coming in hot, it was coming in high, and he had not yet even started to put his hand up, and the ball looked like it was about to cross the back of the end zone. And then out of nowhere, he just plucks it with the one hand. Not many guys in college football are going to make that catch and have the presence of mind to get his feet in as well. I mean, he's, he has a lot of the physical tools that you look for, and, and he reminds me a little bit of, you know, the Alshon Jeffrey, Brandon Marshall-type guys that, that maybe don't separate and run the best routes, but if you put the ball up, they're going to go make a play on it. And, and those guys, it seems like more and more in today's NFL – are the ones that are having success. All right, well, you mentioned it. You were at that Notre Dame game a few weeks ago. Let's just change gears a bit to the Fighting Irish quarterback, Everett Golson. Obviously, he's taken a huge jump this year after being away from football for all of 2013. What area do you think he's improved the most in this fall? I would say probably the consistency of his accuracy, although I still think he has a long way to go, if that makes any sense. Uh, I, I also think he's more, just more confident in what he's doing. I think when he's on the move and, and, and kind of running around and, and once the initial play breaks down, that seems to be when he's, he's at his best. Or if, if his first read is there, he's getting the ball out very quickly. So there's a lot of good things that he's doing. I, I think uh, Arizona State had the perfect defensive scheme. There was, they were a team that, uh, that blitzed more than any other team in the FBS except for one coming into that game. It was, it was 55% of the time. And in that offensive scheme, is, the way it was explained to me by Everett himself is that they don't necessarily have the traditional hot read, but it's more about um, going through his progression very quickly. And so I think the blitz, whatever the game plan was for Notre Dame, they made some, adjust, made some adjustments, and it got better, and they, they found ways to attack with the screen game and some misdirection and then taking shots down the seams. But early in that game, they, it just didn't seem like they had the right game plan for, the, for what Arizona State wound up doing with the heavy blitz scheme. And, and he was forced to kind of hang there in the pocket and take some big hits, probably held on the ball a little bit too long on a couple of occasions, and then started to force some things. But 
he's a good player. He's got room to still improve, and, and I look forward to him coming back next year and continuing to improve because if he can make some strides in, in terms of the decision-making and, and the consistency, I think he's got a chance to become a, maybe a, a good backup or possibly one day a starter at the next level. All right, the last question for you, Todd. Before I let you go, <clears throat> the big matchup of the weekend a week ago was Mississippi State versus Alabama, and on one side you had Dak Prescott, and on the other side you had Blake Sims for the Crimson Tide. Now, I know you've got a ton of tape study left to do on these two guys, so I'm not going to hold it against you, and I, I can't, but I can't speak for the rest of uh, the Twitterverse and everybody else, the, the commenters, the articles. But, uh, you know, off the cuff, just for what you've seen of them in person or watching them on TV, who do you think has got the best pro potential between Prescott and Sims? I would say probably Prescott. You know, I think Sims has, has come a long way this year. Didn't expect him to, to play at the level that he has, and – and really, he's the reason that, that they've turned things around from stumbling a little bit early on, offensively at least. And, and, uh, and, and you have to give him a lot of credit for that. But I think Prescott probably a little bit more gifted in terms of his physical tools. He has a solid arm, obviously has the mobility you look for, exceptional competitiveness and toughness. He's been accurate. I'd say good accuracy, short to intermediate for the most part. I think where where Prescott can improve is probably with the consistency of his deep accuracy. That's the one area. He gets away with a lot of balls that he puts up for grabs down the field, and he's got bigger receivers that, that tend to go up and make plays in the ball or at least are able to knock them down. But in the last few games, we've seen that he's not quite getting away with some of those mistakes or, or the chances that he takes throwing the football and the three interceptions against Alabama were, uh, were costly. So, you know, I hear people talking about Prescott and I hear them saying that he's, he should come out because there's a lot of guys leaving Mississippi State that won't be the same supporting cast. If, if he was ever interested in my advice, I would say go back. And I know the supporting cast might not be as good as it is this year, but he has room to improve and in terms of his footwork and mechanics and he could just become a better pocket, pocket passer and put himself in a better position for when he gets to the NFL. You know, it's not always about where you get drafted. It, sometimes it's much more important that you have more game experience under your belt because there's no single A, double A, triple A. There's no developmental league that's really that's proven anything in years past in terms of developing quarterbacks for the National Football League. So you've got to be – pretty close to developed when you get there from a mechanical standpoint and from a passing standpoint. And if you're not, then, then a lot of times those guys, they don't last very long in the league. We've seen that. I could run through dozens of instances of guys that were great college quarterbacks in the last five, seven years. It just didn't translate, and they didn't last long in the league. And for, for one of the great human beings in college football, the leaders and, and intangible guys that you talk about, and that's what Dak Prescott is. I mean, he's there is. I haven't heard a bad word about the young man. Uh, I, I just hope he comes back and continues to improve and gets with the right people and and puts himself in a better position to succeed in the 2016 draft uh, rather than, than making the decision to leave early. Todd, you are a busy man. I appreciate you taking the time to join us this week on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Get back to the film room, to the airport, to the studio, uh, where, wherever <laughs> exactly. it is your next location is. I appreciate it. If I don't talk to you before then, I'm sure I'll run down. I'll run into you down there at Mobile at the Senior Bowl. Thanks again for joining us. You got it, man. Anytime. Take care, friend. All right, thanks, Todd. I appreciate it. All right, have a good one, bud. All right, you too. See ya. 
All right, so that'll do it for this week. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Thanks so much to Greg Cosell, Todd McShay for joining me, and thanks to all of you guys out there for giving such great feedback on Twitter. Keep that coming. We'll keep making the show better and better each week as we get closer to the home stretch here of the 2014 season. For my producer, BT, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.